I just feel a huge weight, and it's not a negative thing. It's a, it's a good thing, because I feel like God is really excited about this next season for this church. Um, he has been invested in this city for as long as it's been here. The people that were here even before formal version of Berkeley started, the, the Native Americans that were here, he, he has been invested in this region forever. He is so excited about a season where a church is, is hungry and reaching out to him, saying, we want to make an impact, and we want your presence to be felt and known in a way that's transformative, not just for our life, and, and not just for my success or our family's advancement, but we really feel like there's a version of this faith where God empowers his people to really change people's lives. And so we as a family have been like leaning into that, and we keep talking about it in many different ways. And so I just, I, this morning, God just reminded me that it's important for you to understand it's, it's coming He's, he's going to fulfill his promise with us as a church. It's not a far-off future thing. It's going to begin to happen in a lot of really tangible ways. This is not an abstract thing that we do, where it's an a, uh, academic exercise. That is not the faith that we're interested in living. It's, it's a faith that a lot of us have been familiar with, where you learn about God and you know the things of God. But to actually feel empowered to transform people's lives to walk with the Spirit of God like Jesus walked with the Spirit of God. It requires a, a larger lean-in and a larger step. And I just want to honor what God is honoring. He's honoring that you guys for the past year have been leaning in with us. And, and you have opened your hearts to say, yes, I do believe that there's more and I want more. And so for many of you, what that's manifested in, it's, it's been, I want to be involved more in prayer. I want to be more connected to my, my fellow believers. I want to I spend more time personally in the Word. I want to spend more time when we worship, really kind of press, stretching myself to make sure that this isn't just a routine. And God is, he's so proud of who we are. He's so proud of what you guys are doing. He's so excited to come alongside you and empower you to do the things you've always dreamt of doing. Not just living, but living with the kingdom working through you and in you. And so he said, warn them, I'm coming in a good way. It's not a negative thing. It's an exciting thing. And it's really exciting because I really believe it's, there's a combination of things that are going to happen. His presence will be really felt in such a tangible way. But then there's also going to be an empowerment of you guys as you step out in faith to reach those who need it. And they're all over the place. They're all over the place in your work environments. They're all over the place on the streets around here, these neighborhoods. There's families, there's individuals that need God's love, joy, and hope. And if you go, hey, that's, that's cool for evangelists, that's their thing, I'll just, I'll challenge you. That's actually cool for all Christians because that's what Christianity is about, is that you as a light source bring hope and joy and faith and peace to people that need it. It's not all about you right? So I'm really excited because God for the past year has promised things and over the course of the last month I've just felt the weight of him saying it's, it's almost time for you guys to start seeing a lot of the things you've been hoping for. And so I want to encourage you, if you feel compelled to participate in different things, it's probably for a purpose. It's probably to get you more out there doing the things God is excited for you to do. So there will be a lot of opportunity for outreach. There'll be a lot of opportunity for a simple thing like greeting people. 
the opportunity is to meet them, to pray with them, to expect God to do something in their life in the morning before they walk in the door. And when they come in the door, they get to celebrate with us the goodness of God and his presence. And when they leave, you get to be a part of that transformation in their life. And I'm just really expecting that to start to happen. This is not a lecture hall. This is a place where his presence comes. He empowers us to go do and be the things he's been dreaming of us being. So that's the theme that I want you guys to say, okay, God, maybe I don't think like that. I want you to help me think like that. I want to start thinking in ways that will allow me to empower others to live an overcoming life. So that's what's coming. All right. I gave up on my pointer thing. So Michael, you're going to have to help me in the back. We, we are not, no longer endorsing Logitech pointers. They are no, no longer valid, and we, we're going to look for another brand because apparently this is too far. Um, this is too far. All right, welcome to my home, Luke 10, 38, and 42. Let's go to the next slide. It's time to celebrate God. The kingdom is near. Okay, this is, this is the theme, the overarching theme for today. The kingdom is near, so therefore it's time to celebrate God. All right, let's go to the next one. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. All right, a long time ago, there was this interesting guy named Jesus, and he would say interesting things, strange things. A lot of people were really confused by the things he would say, but we all, if we're here, for the most part, probably feel that most of what he said, all of what he said was true. Um, but he was always speaking in ways that were challenging and confusing to people who were living on a two-dimensional plane. I keep saying like, it's like a geometry thing. The idea is that we, we can work with what we see in this arena, but Jesus was here to awaken us to a spiritual reality. He was thinking and acting in a way where he was partnered with the Holy Spirit. He was partnered with God. He was, in fact, God himself. But he was living in the way that, that we could live if we were fully yielded and fully embracing the Spirit of God like he did. But he'd say things all the time that left everyone in his hearing kind of a little challenged and a little confused. So in this instance, this was Jesus talking. It's in, it's in the 10th chapter of Luke. And what he was talking about was, disciples, I'm going to send you guys out to do me. I'm going to send you on my behalf. This is going to be one of your first opportunities to go do the stuff you've watched me do. So actually, I'm, I'm giving you a trial run at, at living in a way that I have intended for you to live, that God has intended for you to live. And here's some basic instructions, Okay. Now think about this, you're a disciple. This is a special moment. You've been following Jesus as the master teacher. You've been amazed by the miracles he works. You've been overwhelmed by all the, the, the wonderful aspects of who he was. And now he turns to you and says, it's your time. It's your time. And he gives the most basic instructions. He goes, before this, he says, I don't want you to take anything with you. I don't want you to take any money. I don't want you to take more than just the clothes on your back. I want you to go bearing no gifts. I want you to go without any fanfare or curriculum. You're not going to be teaching from a book. You're not carrying around a scroll. You go and you embody the Spirit of God just like I do. 
and I'm going to tell you some things that you should do. And so the first thing he says is you go, and then you go to whomever welcomes you in their home. Okay, now this is a different concept than what we have when we say, hey, we're going to go into an area and have an effect on things. Jesus identified that there was something important about people that were prepared to receive what he was bringing. I think a lot of times we have, we have a concept that, like, I'm assigned to a workplace. Therefore, my responsibility is to radically advance, and I know you guys don't do this, but there's this extreme, radically evangelize the whole workplace. I am there as this beacon of light that everyone will see, and if they'll either be blinded by my intensity or they'll be transformed by it. One of the two, like they are going to be affected by me. I, I think the kingdom of God is interesting in that God, and particularly Jesus, he, he always went and he was always tuned in to who was hungry and who was drawing on his spirit. Do you remember when the woman with the issue of blood reached out and touches him and he goes, who touched me? I felt this. There was, there was something in her that reached out to him that was different than the thousands of people that were around. And so Jesus, when he's giving instructions to his disciples, he says, go and go into the house of the people who welcome you. So, so think with me for a second. If you were living at that time, you're living in a village, you're not a disciple going out anymore, you're actually one of the people that live there. Do you welcome every stranger that walks into your village? If you live in Berkeley, do you open your door to everyone who walks down the street? I, I don't. I don't. That's not normal. That's not normal behavior, <laughs> truthfully. You go, well, that's not very Christian of you, Vince. No, that's wise. We don't open our door to everyone that walks down the street. But if someone walks into my village, and remember at this time, villages are small. So if someone walks in, we all kind of are aware that there's, some, there's a stranger here. There's a new person here. There must be something about them that, that is familiar to me. And my heart says, I, this person, I want them in my home. This is safe. This is, I, I, I'm eager to understand and connect with this person. So to me, there's a parallel here in the basics of our faith where we open our hearts and our lives up to God. We say there's a draw here. We know there's something real and familiar. We don't fully understand it, but we want to invite him in to this space because I just know that there's, there's going to be good here. It's this next part that's really curious and challenging and interesting to me. Because what I feel like God has done when he talks to his disciples is he goes, there's people prepared that God has prepared for you guys for your arrival. They're actually people of faith. And God is going to honor them because they open their house up to you. And they're one of us. They're converted before they even really know it. God has prepared a place for them, for you with them. And they deserve honor. I think that's all of us, truthfully. I really do. Unless you're here as like a spy and you're really kind of interested in turning this place upside down and, and just disrupting what God is doing, which I just don't suspect any of you are here to do that. I actually think all of us are like, I kind of sincerely want Jesus to be king and ruler of my life. I think we would have opened our door if one of the disciples or a pair of the disciples showed up. But this next part is really interesting to me. Because this next part 
I feel like opens up a whole conversation around what is a little bit more real and a little bit more current in our lives. He says, first say, with an exclamation point, peace to this house. Say peace to this house. Peace to this house. Okay. That's a phrase none of you have probably ever used when you walked into one of your friend's houses. Peace to this house. This is peace, peace to this house. Everyone would be a little bit concerned. It feels a little bit odd. That's an odd... Okay, I don't think he was speaking in odd language at his time. He was, he was saying something, though, that was really significant. Why would you say that? Because remember, Jesus was always connected to the, the spirit realm. He understood that, that what these guys were bringing wasn't natural gifts. They weren't there to bring economical advancement to these guys. They weren't there to encourage them with maybe academic enlightenment. They were there on a spiritual mission. And so the very first thing they did or were instructed to do to the ones who were already of faith was to introduce peace to the house. Now here's the part that's really interesting. If anyone is there who shares in this peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it'll return to you. You say, well, they, they opened their home and they were hospitable. They obviously were of faith, but they were, they, were, they were eager to share in what the disciples were bringing. Why wouldn't the peace that Jesus was sending them with naturally just take over and reside? Well, it was because there's something else going on in the heart of every individual that God will never, ever violate. In the heart of every individual person, you have the keys to all of your gates. You have the ability to turn off or turn on access. And you have the ability to say yes or no at all times to anything good, bad, or other. And so these ones that are in these homes, yes, they'd welcome the king or his representatives there. But then there's this transaction that may or may not occur based on who they actually are in their heart. Do you think when the disciples walked into the houses and said, peace be in this house, peace to you, the people that were in the house were like, no way. No, we don't want it. I'm not interested in your peace. I'm not, I don't like peace. Peace is not me. Peace is the opposite of who I want to be. No one would say that. No one was like that. There was, there was, that's not logical, that's not even, that's not, that's not something humans do. But there's this reality in each of us where peace is either reigning in our lives, familiar to us, and of God's kingdom, or there's something else there. Go to the next slide, Michael. There's a number of translations. Um, go, to the, go one more. Okay, there's a number of translations, and they all say this in a different way. And I, I've kind of summarized it here in a couple of different things. So I want to I read this. It says, are you a lover of peace? Do you share in peace? Are you a son or daughter of peace? Do you promote peace? 
Those are the exact same line from different translations about the nature of the people whose home the disciples were going into. I think it's really interesting that it's our responsibility, even though we're of faith, even though we believe in God and we believe in Jesus, we still have a responsibility to align our lives with peace and the presence of God as a priority over everything else. And so I want to ask you guys this question, not in an accusatory way, because I'm going to be the first one to raise my hand and acknowledge that peace is something that is, is at odds with our culture and our society. The day we're in, the environment we're in, the media exposure we have, the, the velocity with which we, we entertain ideas, thoughts, news, information, expectations, etc., the level and volume and pace is so high in our day that it's really opposite of the spirit of peace. Think about the, the nature of the environment the disciples were walking in. They were walking into villages. First of all, we don't walk anywhere. We scooter, we bike, at, at, that's our slowest pace. Usually we're in a fast car, we get there, we get out, we get in, and it's, it's moving quickly. They walked, okay, so they, at least they're walking, but then they weren't walking by signal lights, and noisy cars and high-rise buildings. They were walking in villages next to a lake with, with small, humble homes. The pace and culture that they were in, would, we would have said, oh my goodness, this is, it's like slow motion here. You guys have probably traveled to like the Midwest or, and you go, these people, they talk so slow. My company that I work for, they're from Texas. And I'm like, whoa, you guys talk slow. Now they're brilliant, they'll fool you that you think they're not sharp. They're super sharp. They just go at a different pace in their communication. And it's so interesting to, to realize, like you, it's like you go into a time warp. You, everything slows down because the pace of life is different even in our day from place to place. Well, imagine the pace when Jesus was walking around Galilee and then the pace when his disciples were walking out on his behalf. And they weren't, they weren't tasked to go into each home and go, we are at war. The kingdom suffers violence, but the they—they they were actually the opposite. We're, we're peaceful. Peace means I'm going to slow it down even a little bit more. I would tell you if Jesus were here in our day and he walked into your home, I think you'd be faced with a question: Are you a lover of peace? Do you share in peace? Are you a son or daughter of peace? And do you promote peace? Go back one slide, Michael. So he gave this instruction. And then he says, Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide. For the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you, cure the sick who are there, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. I always think about what Jesus told his disciples to do, the timeline in which he operated on earth, the timeline that they operated in, and I'm always like, you were so inefficient. <laughs> like, why would you slow them down to this pace where they go into one house, they welcome, they're welcome there, so they slow down and they eat. Everyone's outside that they could be impacting and changing, but Jesus demonstrates this model and he calls his disciples to this model of your, your greatest impact is in you actually caring 
the presence of the kingdom of God. And one of the primary, if not the first, evidences of the kingdom of God is peace. It's not war. It's not overcoming. It's not many things, truthfully. It's, but it's always peace, joy. Kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, joy. Righteousness, peace, joy. So Jesus gives these instructions to his disciples. They gladly go. They go do all these things. They work wonders and miracles, and they come back. He celebrates them. They celebrate. He makes this comment. He's like, heal them. When you go out, eat with them. Slow down. Enjoy them, basically. Enjoy the people you're with. Eat at their house. How many of you guys have people over for dinner once a month? At least. Average? At once? Maybe twice a month? Three times a month? You got some super social people in the back. Your your baby doesn't count, Garrett and Emily. That is not a person you're inviting over for for dinner. (laughs) When you invite people over for dinner, which we try never to do, (laughs) because we have five kids and it's like we really don't have a lot of bandwidth for it, it's an event. You really slow down. You're there to be with them. You don't microwave a meal and you're like, here it is, get it, get out, you know. You don't turn the TV on and you're like, I'm watching this, hang out if you like. If you're inviting people over for food, it's, it's, a, it's a thing. You are there with them. It's so intentional. It, there has to be so much want to from all of you to really be there. It requires, it requires a surrender or a setting aside of all of the other things that were important in that season or that day. It doesn't mean that those lists go away of priorities. My list of priorities is I have to get up at a certain time, so I have to go to bed at a certain time so I can get to my exercise and my prayer and my work on time, and then I gotta get through. Like, I have this like, agenda that just drives me all the time. But when you invite someone into your home, all of that has to be set aside so you can be with them. I think it's crazy that Jesus would have walked into people's homes or sent people into people's homes and there's still a question being asked, is there peace here? In this era, at this time, there wasn't a lot of war going on. There was Roman occupation, but there wasn't constant war. These were people that were simple. I think a lot of times we confuse peace for simplification of life. It's if I could get some of this responsibility off my plate or I could accomplish a certain thing and get that out of the way, then things would slow back down. I don't think that has anything at all to do with it. I think it's a spiritual awakening of sorts where the kingdom of God and the spirit and presence of God is alive in you to the degree that when someone that has that same spirit comes into your presence, you connect and share in that, that awareness that though there is war and conflict all around, though there is responsibility and effort on all sides of us, we are calm and steady because we know not just this moment, but all of eternity is, is at peace because that's the kingdom we're connected to. We're connected to a king, God, and Jesus who's, who's made earth his footstool, who Jesus reigns as king forevermore. The war is already won. And so we can rest in the knowing that even though we face hardship and challenge, there is an eternal peace that's been promised to us. 
That's the peace that overrides and overshadows someone whose heart and spirit are surrendered to God. It's not a have you got your house vacuumed so therefore you can calm down and be present. It's a different level. It's a spiritual level. So Jesus gave these instructions to his disciples and they went and did this thing and then later in the chapter, Jesus actually does the exact same thing. So this is what I'd like to look at today. Go to the next slide now as they went. All right. So just a few sections later in the same book, Jesus does exactly what he told the disciples to do. And he does it with this family where Mary and Martha and Lazarus live. He walks into a village called Bethany, and it's a suburb just outside of Jerusalem that some people are named after. I don't know. It's weird. I don't know who would name, them, name their child after a village outside of Jerusalem, but it's, it's not a bad name. Um, there's no villages named Vince. I'll just say that. I don't know why. All right. Now, as they went on their way, he entered a certain village. So this was Jesus with his disciples, where a woman named Mary, excuse me, where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. All right. Credit to Martha. All right. A lot of times we read this story, and many of you are familiar with this story, and you go, Martha, she just gets it all wrong. Well, Martha was wise enough, clear enough to say, hey, let's get him in our house. Good job, Martha. Good job, Martha. Slow down, let's get her in here. All right, go to the next slide. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. Okay, this, this is... I always used to think about this story in reference to my wife, in, in reference to like friends coming over. How many of you guys have been in a situation where it's like, we're hosting Christmas, it's gonna be fun. And then every day leading up till Christmas is like torture because everything is so stressful. The house is not ready, the food is not ready. It's this tense event and you feel so responsible to get everything in order for all these people that you have to entertain because it's, it's on you. Well, I always would think about this and anytime we'd have like a birthday party, I'd be like, is this gonna be a fun party or is this gonna be a stressful party? And, and I learned not to keep asking that question anymore because it never was received well. I don't know why. I don't know why she didn't like that question. I'm like, I'm taking the garbage out. What more needs to be done around here? It's, there's, there's not mud on the floor anymore. Just a few dog footprints. It's fine, things are fine. They weren't fine. So I got wiser, and we're doing, you're recovering. Yeah, she's a recovering Martha. <laughs> Say it that way. But it, you, you know this story, because we all have probably heard it. Like, Mary sat at Jesus' feet, so we celebrate Mary. Like, wow, what a wise, like, beautiful priority set she had. But the older sister, Martha, was watching this, and she, she's a little disturbed. Um, First of all, can I just, it, it, it behooves us to slow down and look at this, this for one second. She sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. There's other people in the house, too. We know Lazarus is part of this team. He's not mentioned in this story. And then we remember later on, we hear that Lazarus dies and Jesus goes. And when he goes, the sisters come out and go, hey, Jesus, Lazarus, whom you loved, died. So it's just a little glimpse. We don't see much more than that. But there's a connection that happens with Jesus and this family while he's there to where he was just 
present with them. These were his people. These were his people. Like he really bonded and connected with them in a really powerful way. And so, so Mary, along with whomever else other than Martha, was sitting with Jesus and he was speaking and she was wise enough to slow down and just be there and be present. And so I want to encourage you guys, that's the obvious lesson here. Slow down and be present. Slow down and connect with Jesus and his presence as a priority. But also realize, I think we're, we're, we're both Martha and Mary by nature. We want to slow down and connect with Jesus. We want to be spiritual over carnal. We want to understand what God is trying to communicate to us over all the concerns and cares that we have. But we're also very responsible and feel that things need to be in order to appropriately host Jesus in the presence of God in our life. So I want to acknowledge that it's not evil and good here. It's both and, and I just want, I want you to take assessment, not which one are you, Mary or Martha, because I want to tell you you're both. It's, it's more about peace. Remember, Jesus said, when you go into someone's house, say, peace be with this home. Martha welcomed him. He began to speak. He began to meet with. Mary welcomed him. He began to speak. He began to speak with. So Martha begins to do, when Jesus arrives, what any of us would have done. Host him. Let's go to the next one. So Martha was distracted in her hosting. She had many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. Okay, this is so awesome. All right. Okay, so Martha was distracted by her many tasks. Okay, how many of you have many tasks in life, right? Okay. If you're employed, you get a whole box of tasks. They're like, all right, here's your world of tasks. This is what you now do and you're responsible for. And if you finish your tasks, we're going to give you 20 times more tasks. And we're going to call it a celebration and you're going to get 4% more money. It's going to be really good. There you go. Congratulations, you're a task master. Eventually, you get to where you can do all these tasks. And they're like, we want to replicate you so you can become a manager of task masters. And then this, the, the tasks, truthfully, just get more intense and the people get more intense. And then suddenly you're in charge of a lot of people and they go, you are a wonder worker of task management. Thank you. Thank you. And then you retire. It, it's, just, it's, a, it's an awesome story. Like, it's an awesome story. That's American, that's American Management 101. I've just given it to you. That's in the workplace. In your home life, there's tasks. In your personal like, space, there's tasks. Your health is a task. Your diet is a task. Your, your world is full of opportunities to be dominated by obligations or opportunities, however you see it. Maybe you're an optimist. Opportunities to improve yourself and to do all of these wonderful things. If you have a family, there's a task associated with every member of your family, maybe more than one for some members. You guys get the, the idea. You, don't, you arrive on earth, and once you become conscious enough, my seven-year-old daughter has a whole world of tasks that she's invented none of which we've given to her, but she, she, we get home and she has work to do. She's, she's either a doctor that day or she's a librarian that day or she's, she's creating a doll, uh, like a zone for her dolls. 
It's like, what are you doing? And she's, she's like, Daddy, I get, and then she'll just talk for a long time. And I'm, I, got, I got to take a break. You keep going. Like, you, got, you, got, you keep going. And then, you know, every, at some stage, we start to kick in with these, like, we have to do things. It's really normal. It's really normal. It's not a negative if you're highly efficient or even just highly task-driven. It's not a negative at all. It's kind of how we're wired. What's important is that peace is there. Peace doesn't change if your task list changes, if peace is really there. Your responsibilities triple, your children quadruple. Your response, everything starts multiplying on you. <laughs> and, and you go, My, I used to be really peaceful, but I have so much to do now. I have so much responsibility. Well, I'll, I'll challenge you. Maybe you weren't as peaceful as you thought, or you compromised and let something other than peace take reign over your heart and your life. God's interest in us is not to strip us away from influence and responsibility. I'll tell you like that task management tree I just jokingly talked about. God's excited when we get promoted. He's excited to see us advancing in influence and responsibility. He's, he's pumped when you get a raise. He loves that you now manage two or three people and then you manage six, six or 10. Like he loves all of that. He's not going, oh no. There's another promotion that I'm going to have to steal away from if you ever get serious about his spirituality. Like, because his peace is just going to be gone. He's going to have to, like, get back to sandals and a robe and walking on the, in, the, in the desert in order to learn what, what true peace means. You guys know in the history of Christianity, a lot of people have done that. Like, they, they retreat away from society in order to achieve spirituality and that it's evidence of a, maybe a sincere heart or a sincere effort. And maybe even seasonally, that's a good thing for some of us. But the, the bigger theme is peace, if it's real, reigns inside of you. And I can carry this into the most hectic and chaotic environments. And I never become hectic and chaotic. I actually carry the kingdom of God with me. And so Martha was distracted by her many tasks. Just, just I want you to say this, like, I am Martha. Say, I am Martha. I am Martha. And maybe some of you are like, I, I am Martha. Like that level. And some of you are like, I'm Martha. Everyone knows I'm Martha. But I just want you to like realize on the continuum of distractedness, you are not alone in your effort to maintain peace in this culture in this moment. The kingdom of God is coming and we're going to be celebrating his arrival in our lives. And it's going to be evidenced First, by peace, then by power, then by all these other things that we all kind of fixate on. So often it's easy in Christianity to fixate on external results because that's in keeping with our task management program. It's like, I am going to show that I'm a great worker by accomplishing all these things. I am going to show I'm a great Christian by demonstrating all of these gifts. It's very similar if you're not careful and I just would challenge you guys, you could do amazing things in the workplace, amazing things in the world for Jesus and still be totally consumed by a lack of peace. And I wonder if Jesus walks in while you're doing all these things 
And you go, look at all these things I'm doing. And he goes, do you have peace? And I think you just kind of fall to the ground in that moment. And you go, oh, I never really got that. I was just busy trying to keep myself together and, and perform for you and with you. And so I might be a little Martha or I might be a huge Martha, but somewhere in my life, I need to take inventory and say, does your peace reign in this category? Or am I so busy that if you walked into my workplace, I would never slow down to listen to you? I just wouldn't because I have all of these responsibilities. Okay, see the red up there? That's not Jesus speaking. I actually, this is my really awesome highlight. I want you guys to see this really awesome highlight. So she came to him and asked. Okay, so often our interaction with God, our relationship with Jesus, is dominated by seasons of us doing things with and towards God out of a place of dysfunction rather than a place of health. Mary, in her health, knew that a lot of things had to be done. Trust me, she understood what it means to host someone well. Royalty was in her house. Mary knew it. But she was healthy enough to realize her hero was in the room. Maybe this is the Messiah, the Savior, that we've been taught and talked about all of our life. Maybe Mary had, a, had enough spiritual awareness to calm down the cultural expectation of performance and say, yes, I know these things are important normally, but the presence of greatness is here. I'm not going to miss this. So if you're a huge basketball fan, Michael Jordan walks into your house, you're going to go, hey, do you need some water? Great. Okay. Let's, can I ask, can I talk, talk to me about basketball? If one of your great like, performers that you've, you've listened to and loved their whole, your whole life walks into your house, you're going to try to make them comfortable quickly. You're not going to go, oh, hey, stay here. I'm going to take off and go get you some stuff so you like being here. You're going to spend time with that person. You wouldn't miss the opportunity. It's crazy, but Martha knew there was a Messiah talked about. She actually was wise enough to go, hey, I want him I want him near me. I want him in our home. But there was something overriding in her because peace wasn't there. It wasn't there to the degree she needed it to be there to make the connection that I have to spend time with my hero. I can't miss this moment. And so what Martha does instead is she actually goes and interrupts and pulls him aside or maybe she did it in front of her. I don't know. It depends on how the big sister, little sister relationship was. Like, this piece of trash does this to me all the time, Jesus. Don't you even care? Okay, that's my version. It could have just been as simple as like, hey, Jesus, can, I, can you tell her to help me? Because this is, you're important to us, and she obviously is disrespecting you right now. Like, she was justifying a, a broken position. And she was asking Jesus to act on her behalf. Multiply this out, guys. And you sit and you, you lean on Jesus and you say, can't you act on my behalf? And you know what Jesus' answer is? It's the same as it was to her. Go to the next slide. You got it. 
Go to the next slide. Attaboy. Oh, go back one. There it is. All right. Sorry. I was frozen. It's normal. It's totally normal. All right. But the Lord answered her, and it'll be the same to you. And he says, Martha, Martha. He doesn't go, hey, you're way off. You're wrong. He goes, Martha, like, I could see, I could see, like, I could see me doing this. Like, Sophia, like, Sophia, like, no, I'm not going to rebuke your sister. You know, like, like, I love you. Like, I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to rebuke her. You're worried and you're distracted about so many things. This is literally what he says. There's need of only one thing, and Mary chose the better part which will never be taken away. It's kind of a little, in terms of like language and clarity, it's not exactly how we'd talk, but the simple version of it is, it's like, hey, hey, she actually has it all right. You actually have it all wrong, but it's in the most gentle of ways that he says it that way. What she's doing is actually allowing something that will never be compromised. She's connected with me. Her peace has overridden her responsibilities. You're actually trying to pull her into your dysfunction. You're trying to pull her into a place of worry and responsibility when all that you've been focused on accomplishing and doing in life is actually right in front of you right now. Forever things are in your midst, and you don't even know it. Do you remember when Jesus told the disciples to go do all the things, like go into a house, and he says, work miracles, and he says, and tell them the kingdom of God was near. I think he had to say that because even though miracles were being worked, even though the presence of God was there, there's still people in the room that were missing it. It's really interesting that if you, if you read just, just, just Luke 10, they work miracles and many are converted and changed. But it says, and some went back to the Pharisees and told them what was happening in a deceitful, corrupt way. Not in a good, celebratory way. And so I, I want to I challenge us not to instill like fear that, hey, I'll miss God, but to acknowledge our, our hum- in our humanity, we're capable of being wrapped up in the culture, in the season, in the moment. Maybe we're wrapped up in what we think we understand about God, but when his presence comes around, we should be, we should be drawn like we'd be drawn to a hero in the room. We should be able to surrender all of our priorities and tasks And we should be able to sit down in a most humble and quiet way and say, Jesus, I'm here, and you're all that matters. There's actually need of only one thing, and that one thing is you. Go to the last slide, Mike. Um, I'm really excited because I really believe you guys are going to be transformative in the places of influence that God has assigned you to. You're going to be really successful in different work environments. You're going to be successful family people where maybe generations before you weren't. You are going to break ground and do all those things. 
One of the greatest endeavors we all ought to have is the pursuit of peace. Peace is something that transcends the natural order. The natural order demands worry, anxiety, effort, toil. The natural order says you must push through and break through or guard in order to be successful. Peace is evidence of a connection to something that's higher. You don't live in the peace of Jesus unless your mind and heart are aligned with the truth of his reign and his kingship. For some of us, our greatest anxieties are just rooted in fundamental fears in our life, either fears of rejection, fears of failure, fears of abandonment, fears of whatever. And so we have this hamster wheel that just goes at such a pace. Rather than he as king has not only my life in order and in, in, in under his care, like he has his, the whole world in his hands, not only that, but just that I can trust him that all of this will work out. And so if we're not under that alignment and we believe that he is king of kings and lord of lords, we can find ourselves racing with the best of intentions, racing with anxiety, racing with sleeplessness, racing with performance demands that say you must achieve, you must satisfy some either personal goal or familial goal or cultural goal. Those aren't always bad, but his peace is always good. Understand. For you to be the fullest, most dynamic, impacting version of yourself, peace has to be in your home. The last kind of concept that I want to give you before we shut down um, is what's in your home is what's in your life. You may be outside of your home. You may be very good at performing once you open your door and walk out, and maybe you, you quiet down that anxiousness and that, that task-mindedness or that race, but when you get home, you find yourself involuntarily dominated by just thoughts and things that just they go so fast, and you, you, you're never satisfied, you're never calm. And I just want you guys to, to realize this. God's intent for all of us is that the kingdom reigns in us and then through us. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. The easy measurables, peace and joy. Righteousness is something he gives us by his sacrifice. Peace and joy are full expressions of the kingdom fully manifesting. And I want to I say I'm really excited because on the continuum of peace and joy, I know I'm making progress. I'm not like fully realized in peace and joy. New responsibilities come in and I feel like I'm, I buckle under the weight of them and my peace is challenged for a season. And I'm always saying, God, get me back to a place where, where your truth and your kingship reigns and I sit with you in heavenly places and therefore whatever responsibility you put me over, I have peace and I have joy. If peace and joy aren't a normal part of my life, it's not for us to turn on ourselves and say, you're not good enough, your priorities are bad. What did Jesus do to, to Martha? He said, Martha, Martha, you're kind of getting it wrong. 
I'm going to show you a little better way to do this. I'm going to actually relieve some of this burden from you because I want you to have peace and joy. Treat yourself the same way Jesus treated her. Be kind to yourself and say, we can work on this. We can love ourselves and we can love God and we can love people into a path where peace is the priority. All of my expectations or other people's expectations are not. The last thing is praise is a weapon of peace. So this, wasn't, this isn't really like a message about praise, but I want you guys to understand with me what praise is in my mind. Because I've said for the next like seven weeks, we're on week two, we're going to be talking about praise. Praise is the celebration of God. It's celebrating God. It's celebrating his goodness. It's celebrating what he's done. It's celebrating who he is. It's celebrating what is coming. So often, um, the way we carry ourselves, the way we prioritize our time, the way we think about Jesus, the way we think about our friends, family, and life, is, is corrupted by our feelings of responsibility. It's corrupted and challenged by our, our unmet expectations. There's something interesting that happens when we praise God and celebrate him. We reorient our priorities, all of our priorities. We, we, maybe we don't fully get this, but when I say, God, thank you for your goodness and how big you are in my life and how many good things you have done, that's like the essence of praise. Just I celebrate you for all of these things. It's as if you're elevating up above this, this temporal, earthly moment, and you're saying this kingdom reality, while sometimes it breaks in and transforms the natural, it seems as though sometimes it doesn't, or at least maybe in this season I'm in, it's not all resolved. But I'm going to ignore what could go wrong or what might be out there that I'd be concerned about, and I'm going to jump up and say, God, you're good like a tree, and you cover my, my past, my present, and my future. And that is true, and you are true, and you are good. See, there is something in Mary where she was able to discern that Jesus was bigger than the moment she was in, and therefore she should shut everything down. There was peace, joy, and connection there that would last her and she'd actually go on to be talked about forever because of what some of the things she does later. There was something planted in her where the worth of God was way more significant than maybe Martha in that moment. She, she had a seed in her that said, God is worthy to be worshipped and praised. And therefore, when he came in the room, she was able to make that connection. I want to challenge you guys with this. One, take serious inventory of your peace. Not with harsh eyes and critical like lenses. You don't look in the mirror and go, you're ugly, you're not nice, you're bad. That is never allowed. So when I look in the mirror, I go, you could be more peaceful. You're pretty peaceful. You could be a little better. You could grow a little hair. You could look a little better. It's not going to happen. <laughs> um, like, you, there's room for improvement, but you're really good. That's my language, right? You're, you're really a good heart. You're working hard. You're doing, your heart is right. Take inventory, though. It's like, hey, my peace is terrible in these arenas. My anxiety levels spike when I'm with these people. My, 
my, my ability to recognize Jesus if he walks into the room would probably be pretty low if it was in this environment because I know I race in this environment. I'm not calm. Take real inventory. And then as you take that inventory, consider this. Praising God in all of the spaces where peace is not present will give you a spiritual foothold that he will then come and you'll take that ground with peace. So what that looks like for me, I'll give you some really practicals. Um, various seasons of, of um, work where various seasons of promotion and responsibility had, have come my way. You never feel fully ready or fully qualified for the next thing that God opens the door to in your life. Some of you will find when your first child arrives, you're like, wow, I'm not, <laughs> not ready or qualified for this. But when your fifth one comes, you're like, okay, I'm good. Okay, no, nope. nobody else, just us? Okay, sorry. Get to work, guys. You got some work to do. Um, you, don't, you don't gain peace by going, I'm gonna be peaceful. None of this matters, I don't care. You gain peace by his authority taking reign in that space. Meaning, I'm nervous or anxious about the responsibility of this new job. I got all these people that are responsible for, I got all this performance expectation on me. Usually what we do is we work really hard. You know, hour 70 comes that week and we're like, okay, I feel a little better about myself. I put 70 hours in, like I'm, I'm at least demonstrating that I'm gonna get this task list in order and then month seven later and you're still at 70 hours, you're like, this is the worst. Or you go, God gave me this job. God, you are good. You gave me this responsibility. I'll be diligent, but you are gonna reign here. And I believe that all things work together for good for those, those that serve you. And so give me wisdom, give me insight, but you reign here. And now I have peace. And now I find myself not working the 70th hour. I find myself after 40 or 50 going, think this is going to be okay. I don't think I need to carry this and let this dominate me in this way. I actually think I have authority here and I can give feedback and, and make decisions that will make this place work without me being under the weight of all of the expectation. Same is true for a family when you're starting your home. How do we keep things in order? How do we, how do we carry the weight of all this new responsibility? You don't do it by just working harder. There's a limit. And if you don't think you've hit your limit, have a few more kids. Then you'll feel like, you'll know, like, I can't just perform. It doesn't work. You, you're not actually designed to. You're, you're designed to carry peace and trust at a greater level that he will provide, he will carry me to the places of success and victory. But what's most important in all of life, in all arenas, is that at any time he steps in the room, I greet him and he says, peace be in your house. And I say, yes. Peace is in my house, and it stays. His peace stays. We connect, and there's a depth of connection that prepares me for intimacy and worship that we'll hear about next time when we hear about Mary putting perfume on Jesus' feet. You'll never get to that moment where you put perfume on Jesus' feet. All the disciples go, what are you doing? And, Mary, and Jesus goes, Mary's doing something that will be spoken of for the rest of eternity. She made an eternal impact because her priorities were good and peace was in her heart. So often we want that impact on the world, but we're not understanding that it all begins with a reprioritization around peace in our life.
and a willingness and an opportunity to see him when he's in the room, to partner with him when he has priorities that are different than ours. But you can and you will. That's why you're here. He wants to give you new priorities and he wants to empower you to make a significant change for your family where peace is the measure of your name. The McCarries will be peaceful people. Everyone will know that like when I go around them, oh, I just feel different. I feel peaceful. I feel hopeful. I feel joy. I feel all these things that I don't normally feel when I'm with my crazy aunt or <laughs> whatever, you know, like some other person. And then the McCarries will be ones who know when it's good to give all that they have to Jesus because it's of worth and value to him. Never going to get there if I have this crazy task list and priority thing that I worry about every day. Got to slow it down, not just in action, but in heart, and say, you are king. All right, so let me invite you guys as we close. Hold your priorities in your heart to God. Hold the things that dominate your time and your mind in front of Jesus this morning and just ask him to help you realign your priorities so that he can walk into any environment with you and you'll immediately know that he's there. You'll immediately yield and you'll carry and welcome his peace because that's the kingdom expanding in your life. Your home will be peaceful, your workplace will be peaceful, and your family and friends will be peaceful as a result. So Father, we just, we lift up these wonderful lives you've given us to you. We ask you, God, to help us prioritize our, our lives. We ask you, Father, for peace to come in and drive out all of the anxiousness that continues to contend for our, our minds and our hearts. We ask, Father, that peace would be what we are known by and that praise would be one of the things we do where we celebrate you as king over all of these concerns. And so, Father, we just we offer you our anxiousness and worry and in exchange, we give you praise and thanksgiving because you're king and you've got the whole world in your hands. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.